Would George Springer fit the New York Mets? Should they upgrade from J.D. Davis at third base? And who are some prospects that might impact the Queens Ball Club this season? We'll talk with Mets play-by-play announcer Wayne Randazzo next on Beat the Shift. Welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast, presented by Fangraphs. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always, Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and we have a special guest on the line tonight. He is the voice of the New York Mets, the New York Mets play-by-play announcer, Wayne Randazzo. Welcome to the show, Wayne. Hi, guys. How are you? I'm doing great. What's going on? Oh, not too much. Just uh, counting down the days till spring training. You know, we're getting getting kind of close, and it looks like that. Uh, well, everybody's going to start on time. At least that's what the latest reports are. We haven't heard anything official yet, but hopefully, we'll be down there in four or five weeks and and get ready to get started on, on a full season. It's amazing that it's that close. I mean, pitchers and catchers are literally just around the corner. You know, I, I just watching before the uh, Islanders' first game of the season, they started late. Uh, you know what I noticed? Uh, the, the announcers were broadcasting remotely, and, and I just thought of you there. Um, last year must have been really different. I mean, the home games, there was no fans for you. Away games, you weren't even in the ballpark. How did that work, that experience? Well, it, it, I don't know if it did, but we got through it. Um, you know, it was, it was not ideal by any stretch of the imagination i mean for home games you know we were there at least so that then you, you know with the headset on and you're you're in the booth and talking to howie and all that you know you can kind of forget about it for the most part that the ballpark is empty it was it was just kind of like one of those nights where it's like two in the morning after like three rain delays and you know it's the 12th inning and you're just kind of there and there's nobody else really there that's kind of how the whole season felt um, for the home games and then for the road games. Yeah. I'm off the TV monitors, especially for radio. I, I filled in for Gary on TV for one game uh, when it was a, an away game and that wasn't so bad really, but for radio, having to paint the picture and describe everything and being on top of everything that happens, it was tough. And, and you know, it was actually tougher during day games on the road because we get glares off of the screens and all that. So, um, it, it definitely had its challenges we know we don't really know if we're going to be able to travel this year or not, at least at the beginning. I think for spring training, we will be down in Florida, which is good. But uh, beyond that, you know, opening days on the road. and I hope we're there, but we, we don't really know yet. Well, you made it sound seamless last year. And, you know, thank you so much for me and many other Mets fans who uh, you gave us a, a much brighter day during the, the height of the pandemic last year. Yeah, and I think that's why it was important for baseball to 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 play and for sports to come back. Um, you know, I know that the, the ratings aren't quite the same and, and people have kind of gotten away from sports because there's so much more going on politically and in news and, uh, of course, with the virus. So there's a lot of attention being taken away from, from the sports world. But I, I do think that for a large swath of people that were tuned in and that, that were watching the games, that there was at least – some sense of something to do that that took your mind off of everything that had been going on. So, you know, I think that's why it was important for sports to come back. And uh, I'm I'm glad that the sports world has has not been really affected as far as any tragedies or or any sort of uh, really 
the the virus running away. I mean, we know we know some teams, the Marlins and the Cardinals, and some teams throughout the other sports have had issues with with having COVID, but you know nobody's really had a, a big problem with it. And I think that's uh, that's certainly a, a blessing. Yeah, and we saw the NFL. Uh, they went pretty much pretty good so far. I mean, the NFL is once a week, so if you have to move a game to a Monday or Tuesday or once they did it to Wednesday this year, you can. A little bit different with baseball. We saw last year the Cardinals and the Marlins have, have issues. Um, so I uh, <laughs> have to throw this out to you because it's obviously the biggest Mets news, but uh, what are your quick thoughts on the Francisco Lindor trade? And I'll say Lindor slash Carlos Carrasco. Most people are just saying Lindor, but Carlos Carrasco is a near-ace pitcher on a very team-friendly contract. So that's a really big part of the package. What, what are your thoughts? It's a huge part of it. And, you know, as far as the Mets go, you know, we look back at 2020, and, boy, they had a, they had a pitching problem, which is unusual in, in Mets history and unusual when you have one of, the, one of the best, if not the best pitcher in baseball on your team. So uh, they needed to bulk up in that starting rotation. I think Carlos Carrasco is, is just a terrific choice. You know, he's, he's been a, a largely durable pitcher. I mean, even in a year where he had been battling leukemia, he still was able to pitch for the first couple months of the year and, and, and came out of the bullpen in September. So, you know, he's a guy who wants the ball every fifth day, and the Mets need that uh, as, long, as well as someone with the talent and, and the, really the background of Carrasco of what he's done in his big league career. And you could argue that, that 2020 was maybe his best season in his career. Uh, of course, Lindor is, is, a, is a superstar, and he's a guy that's going to hopefully be a Met for the next 10 years and, and be a face of the franchise. There's no guarantee of that yet. So I think this deal does come with some risk that, you know, one year of Lindor, unless unless maybe you win the World Series, uh, it's it doesn't look like a great trade if Lindor walks. But if he doesn't, if he's a Met for life at this point in, in his career, you figure any long-term deal would take him to the end of his career. If that's the case with Francisco Lindor, then I think the Mets had did exactly what they needed to do and were able to, to bulk up, not necessarily at a position of need because they had two shortstops, but you get one of the brightest superstars in the game at a position that is tough to fill, and I think the Mets are, couldn't be more thrilled with getting Lindor and Carrasco in a package. And Lindor helps the Mets line up immensely. So with the designated hitter. Right now, we don't know what's going on with the designated hitter. Some some baseball insiders have mentioned that there will be one. Some say they won't. The Mets are one of the main teams in the National League that benefit from the DH because they have both Don Smith and Pete Alonso. How would playing time shake out if there is no DH in the National League this coming year? Yeah, the funny thing about last year, we were not sure if they would do the DH or not, and they they kind of put it together, including the expanded playoffs, at the last minute. Um, I think they even expanded the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken, two or three days into the season last year. Now that was, uh, those were different circumstances than I think what we have this year. I, I do think they'll have to put a negotiation together. But if it's if spring training starts without a resolution of the DH, I would not be surprised. I think they can really take that all the way up to opening day. Uh, as far as how that benefits the Mets, well, hugely if they have the DH. I mean, they're gonna you're gonna be able to put Dominic Smith at first base most days. He's a he's a very skilled defensive first baseman. You don't really see that, I don't think, in terms of any sort of numbers to back it up just yet because he hasn't had the reps there at first base on a regular basis to do that. But I think over the course of a full season, if Dom is going to play first base 130 times, I think you would see that show up. 
And then Pete could DH most of the time. You know, they just signed Jose Martinez today who could probably DH some. Uh, J.D. Davis profiles as a DH. You know, outside of that, if there's no DH, well, then you're really going to have to divvy this up between Pete and Dom at first. I think at that point, then Pete, as long as he's hitting, is the the first baseman most days, and Dom would have to play left field a lot. Although, you know, Sandy said recently he doesn't really want Dom Smith in left field, and rightfully so, because, you know, he's a guy who's really a great first baseman and, and a below-average left fielder. So uh, I think that the Mets really would love to see the DH. They're much more equipped for it than most National League teams, and we'll just see if it shakes out. If not, they're going to have to be creative about how they play those two guys. And what a great problem to have. Uh, last year, Dom Smith, 10 homers, 316 batting average, 42 RBIs in the short season of 60 games. Pete Alonso, 16 homers, 231 average, 35 RBIs. Um, yeah, it's a good problem to have. And Sandy Alderson did comment this week that said he Dom Smith is not going anywhere. So, yeah, the Mets are one of the teams that really benefit by having that uh, designated hitter. Um, so uh, according to Fangraph's roster resource, J.D. Davis is currently listed as the Mets' starting third baseman. Brandon Nemo, the starting center fielder. Alderson expressed that he's not exactly comfortable with Davis's defense at third base, and Nemo is not really exactly like Willie Mays out there. Um, do you think the Mets can live with these players' defensive shortcomings as the everyday starter for 2021? I think that the Mets need to get better defensively. You know, uh, Ahmed Rosario held them back as far as defense goes at shortstop. And then we saw Andres Jimenez play short pretty well when he came up uh, from the minor leagues last year. And now you have Lindor, so you're going to have a much better defensive shortstop in, in Francisco Lindor than you did with Rosario. And I, I think in McNeil at second base, he's going to be better than Cano at second base. So I think you are better defensively already. I don't know that you need it at third base. I think you could live with J.D. Davis there. Of course, if they go and sign a guy like D.J. LeMayhew, I, I think he could be the third baseman and fit in just fine. They don't need the defensive upgrade at third base, but I do think they need one in center field. And I think this also goes along with what we just talked about with Dominic Smith playing left. Well, if he's in left, then Nimmo's in center for sure. If, if Dominic Smith is not in left field... Well, then Brandon Nimmo can slide over and play left field and give you the great on-base percentage and the 900 OPS that he's had his last couple of healthy seasons. And then you can get a center fielder. Now, is that George Springer? I don't know. George Springer has never played more than 80 games in a season in center field. So is he an everyday center fielder all of a sudden at age 31? I don't know. I'm not so sure. You'd, you'd certainly have a great bat if he got George Springer, and that would help the offense. So maybe that in return is what the Mets would want to do. But as far as the defensive profile in center field, I'd really like to see them improve there. You know, I know they've, I've at least read that they've talked about Albert Almora, you know, not a, not really an everyday player though. So I don't know what they're going to do as far as center field goes, especially if they don't get Springer, you know, it's, it's, you take a look at Jackie Bradley. Is he a guy as another left-handed hitter? They've already got so many lefties in the outfield. Do you want to go that route to, to better the defense, which I think Bradley certainly would do? Uh, I think the Mets have a lot to weigh there, but I would like to see center field become a better defensive position for them. And third base, you know, I, I think the improvements up the middle on the infield uh, will carry them enough as far as that goes. Well, according to Fangraphs, they have a stack called UZR slash 150, which is runs above average for defensive uh, prowess in center field. Springer, who's 31 years old now, so I don't know how many more years he's going to play in center, he was minus four for 2020. 
for the entire season. Nimmo actually came out to a minus 15.2 in 2019. And this past year, he was a minus 19.2. And Michael Conforto hasn't played center since 2019. So any defensive upgrade would probably be, they want to help defense off the middle. That's what, that's exactly what they need. Right. But is, is Springer, is he going to play every day out there? I think that's the biggest question because he's never done it. He's, he's at most played a half season in center field. He's played a lot of right field. He's DH'd. How will that impact his, his legs playing every day in center field? How will that impact his offense? Maybe maybe he's because he's playing center and having to cover so much ground every day, maybe that impacts him offensively too. So, uh, And I, I also, on another point with Springer, does signing him to a long-term contract keep you out of re-signing Michael Conforto? Because if it does then I think the Mets have to consider that because long-term, if Springer at, as a right fielder at age 32 through 36 or whatever, is that better than having Conforto as a right fielder at age 28 through 33? So I, I think that there's a lot for the Mets to think about when it comes to, to George Springer. I don't think it's as cut and dry as, as the fans want it to be. No, no, not nearly. And, uh, you know, we talked a bit about uh, the defensive stats. Offensively, look at 2020. Springer had a 146 WRC plus. Nimmo a 148 WRC plus. So Nimmo is uh, the better offensive player in certain ways. When you incorporate defense and everything, and we're talking about WAR, Springer had a 1.9 to Nimmo's 1.5. So to pay all that money for a marginal increase going from Nimmo to Springer, uh, I don't really see it. Uh, I'd much rather upgrade J.D. Davis, if you can, possibly to, you mentioned D.J. LeMahieu before. I mean, LeMahieu had a 177 WRC plus to Davis's 117. Uh, to me, if the Mets are trying to fill holes, that's the way I would go attacking the third base, which probably is their weakest position. And uh, I don't know that J.D. Davis can really last as the everyday third baseman. Um, two years ago, he had that great righty-lefty split where he would mash lefties. Not so much this year. So we'll have to wait and see. Um, but other than, than what we talked about, do you think there, there are any other holes in the Mets that they need to plug in and fill in, and will they before the uh, season starts? I would still like to see them sign another starting pitcher, even though I think they might be okay now. You've you got Jake, you've got Stroman, you've got Carrasco. David Peterson was good, uh, I think, in his rookie year, and I, I think that he's a guy that you can at least add to the mix. We don't really know what the plan is for Seth Lugo, although it sounded like Sandy would like him in the bullpen. Um, if that's the case, that's a spot that, that could be open in the rotation. You know, Steven Matz, that's hardly an arm you can rely on, although, again, a guy who, who should certainly be in the mix. So I'd like to see them just get one more starter, only because you don't really know for Cindergaard. Yeah, he's due to come back in June or July, but we don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know if there's going to be setbacks as he gets closer I think that you have to have some center guard insurance there just in case it doesn't work out where he comes back in June or July. And maybe that's the trade deadline. Maybe you can use that for that at that point. But I, I would like to see them just buckle down with one more starter. And they need a left-handed reliever. They don't really have any. You know, Jerry Blevins was brought back uh, on a minor league deal and as a guy who certainly had success in the past, but really as profiled as a lefty-lefty a guy, especially now at this point in his career. You know, Justin Wilson, I think, did a really good job for them uh, the last couple of seasons, and I wouldn't mind seeing him come back. But if you can take a shot at Brad Hand, you know, spend a little extra money on getting a, a guy like that to be your left-handed reliever, I think that could work too. So they, they definitely need that. I would say the left-handed reliever uh, is, is maybe the number one item that the Mets might need right now. 
You know, I find it funny that everybody in the league passed on Brad Hand. He cleared waivers, and nobody picked him up. Really weird. Um, and you see Blake Trinan getting such a big deal. A couple of relievers just went off the board. Um, are, are you surprised that the Mets didn't sign uh, Hand, or was it just that it was the old regime and it's just a new regime that going forward now? Yeah, you know, Sandy addressed that in his in the introductory press conference when Steve Cohen was was announced as the new owner. That you know, it was something that had Steve Cohen gotten all the the T's crossed and the I's dotted a few days earlier, they probably would have picked up Brad Hand when he was uh, available through through waivers there. So uh, I, I think that they certainly have interest and, and would have had interest then. And it was just kind of that strange transition period that precluded the Mets at that time from signing him. And then another big question is Edwin Diaz. What kind of Edwin Diaz are we going to get? In 2019, his ERA was five and a half with a whip of 1.38. And last year, his ERA and whip was great. And he struck out ha- almost half the guys he saw. The question is going to be, how long of a leash is, is Luis Rojas going to give Diaz because of the fact that they're expected to do well? And if Edwin Diaz doesn't do well in the beginning, they do have a possible closer in Seth Lugo who could fill in. Or if they sign Brad Hand or someone like that, someone can fill in for him. Yeah, they, they certainly have options, I would think, in their bullpen. You know, maybe even Trevor May profiles as an option. They still have Familia. They still have Batances. So they'll have they'll have options. But I, I think that Edwin Diaz, his stuff is so much better than everybody else's. I, I mean, in, in baseball even, you would say that his stuff from the right side is as good as anyone's in the game as a reliever. You know, we saw the strikeouts in 2019 as well. He still had 100 strikeouts that year, too. Uh, it was still it wasn't exactly what he did in 2020 his strikeout numbers were were even ridiculous for him last year but we saw the high strikeout number we just saw all the home runs allowed and that's really what killed him and he and it's it's so strange with Diaz because even though in 2020 he only gave up I think three home runs but they were all just just backbreakers for the Mets every single one came in a spot where a home run would have just buried them and I, I heard you, know, you call them. A, <laughs> yeah, it's kind of what we saw in 2019, too, where every single home run was in the ninth inning in a big moment. There were no garbage home runs that he gave up. And, you know, I think that's going to still kind of be a black cloud over him as the as the season gets going. And the Mets will have to watch for that. I, I do think it helped him to not have any fans in attendance because I, I think that the pressure did get to him at times in 2019. So I think he was able to, to lock in a little bit more in 2020 and, and get a lot of that junk out of his head to make him have the good year that he did. Yeah, interesting with the fans. Of course, the Miami Marlins really was the same thing both ways. They hardly have any fans anyways. Uh, but <laughs> uh, anyways, on to minor leagues. Um, uh, maybe you can talk a little bit about uh, maybe a minor leaguer or two that might come up and have an impact on this 2021 Mets ball club. Yeah, you know, the, the really... Good, I think Mets prospects right now are the guys who are still a little bit further away. I mean, you know, Mauricio is a is a guy that everybody points to as being the top prospect, and Francisco Alvarez is a catcher. And you know, I think Brody Van Wagenen's crew did a really good job of drafting. You know, look at Brett Beatty and Matthew Allen and PCA. Everybody likes Pete Crow Armstrong. Uh, so there's all these guys that you know are nearer the top of the Mets prospect chain. But they're all kind of a couple of years away. So, you know, as far as anybody who's going to make an impact on 2021, you know, I don't know. Thomas Sapaki might be a guy, a lefty that stands out. We talked about the need for left-handers 
in the organization. Uh, you know, he's a guy that that could be someone to think about. You know, they said they gave a, a pretty good chunk of change to Sam McWilliams coming from the Rays system, and he's not someone that you think of even as a prospect off the top of your head, but uh, a, an older guy, but someone who certainly has some skill and I think could make uh, make some noise out of the bullpen in 2021. Franklin Colome, we saw him a couple of times in 2020. Maybe he's someone they can rely on a little bit more. But as far as anyone who could potentially make a serious impact at the major league level, well, I think all those guys are, are still you know, minimum a year or two away. Yeah, so Pucky is interesting. Um, do you see him as being a spot starter for the Mets somewhere in the middle of the season if there's injuries, or do you see him as shoring up the bullpen uh, if, if we don't like the mix? Yeah, I, I would think for Zapucky it'd probably be more of a, of a spot starter and, and getting those opportunities. But, you know, you never really know how it's going to shake out. You know, maybe they do throw him into the pen and, and, it, and it does work out. But uh, I would think that the way things have profiled for Zapucky to this point you know, he's got some good stuff, and he's a guy that I think can can get hitters out. But I don't know that he has the secondary stuff necessarily to be uh, some kind of lockdown reliever. Well, the question I think really comes to play is where's Steven Matson all this? Is he going to be a starter? He didn't look that good out of the bullpen, and is he going to be able to figure it out this year? He never really had a chance out of the bullpen. Well, they only pitched out of the pen a few times. And that was after he, he had come back from the injury. You know, listen, Stephen, this is his last year under team control. You know, he's going to be a free agent after 2021, just like Syndergaard and Conforto and, and Lindor. So you can kind of rank those guys and, and see where Stephen is right now. But I, I think that they've tried everything with Matt. They've tried different pitching coaches. They've tried different sorts of, uh, you know, numbers and and spin rates and things to throw at him and to try to get him to understand what he's good at what he's not good at and nothing seems to click with steven in fact i think it's it's only gotten worse here as time has gone on and now one of his best friends is his catcher they bring in james mccann they didn't bring him in because he's steven mass's best friend but it helps and they hope it helps at least and and they think that that relationship between mass and mccann will be able to get steven driving in the right direction. You know, if there's any incentive for him as far as making money, he could have a good year and all of a sudden, you know, be someone who does get a good contract, gets 50 or $60 million after 2021 is over. That's not out of the question at all for Steven Matt. So I think that if, you know, the motivations I'm sure will be there. They always are for Steven. He's a great guy. He's just, I think, tough on himself. And, and he really beats himself up in a way that I think holds him back ultimately, because he, he gets too deep into his own head. Yeah, funny how things go. I mean, uh, look at Liam Hendricks. He was DFA'd two years ago, and now he ends up with a $54 million contract just signed uh, with the White Sox. Uh, so let's go around the room for this one. Who do you think is the most underrated player on the ball club this year? Let's start with you, Wayne. Um, that's a good question. There's a lot of a lot of changes. It, it, it very well could be Carlos Carrasco, because it, as we talked about at the beginning— He's viewed as just this throw-in, starting pitching depth option for them. And quite frankly, he's probably their number two starter. Um, you know, he's a guy who's had mid-three, low-three ERA last year, under three, uh, throughout most of his career as a, as a major league starter, especially since uh, right around the middle of the last decade. So I think Carlos Carrasco, as somebody who has kind of been under the radar as an almost de facto ace for that Cleveland staff 
comes in without much fanfare and could very easily be that number two guy right behind Jacob DeGrom that the Mets really need. So you, know, you could you could point to him and say that he's uh, he's certainly underrated. You know, I always think Michael Conforto is underrated. I, I, don't, I, don't, I think people don't really understand how good of a player Michael is. This is a, a free agent year coming up for him, and he did have a terrific two months in, in 2020. So I think if Conforto just kind of continues on from what he did, you know, maybe suddenly he'll become the, the real star, or at least the real uh, sought-after player that I think he should be. Yeah, those were two my answers. Uh, two of my answers as well. Um, Carrasco, you know, he had that bout with leukemia, but he came back blazing with the same high twenty strikeout rate, ten K per nine strikeouts, low walk rate, walks about two batters uh, per game. Uh, so yeah, I agree with that. And Conforto, he's a guy who has he has legitimate forty home run upside. And last year he traded some of that for line drives, and he was successful in raising his batting average. Uh, and of course, Michael Conforto just got engaged two days ago. Uh, so congrats and mazel tov to you, Michael. Uh, <laughs> Ruvain, uh, what, what, what's your selection for most underrated player on the Mets this year? I think the most underrated is Seth Lugo. He is one of the people who can fill in the rotation. If they stretch him out, he can be closer. He did very well when he did that. And it really depends on where the Mets go the rest of this offseason. If they get another reliever and they can't afford another starting pitcher, he'll go start. If they get another starter, they don't go reliever, then he can go into the bullpen. So he's a real wild card, and he's usually in the game pitching against the other team's best hitters. Yes, Diaz pitches usually the ninth inning, but they usually try to get Lugo against the best hitters, and I think that's why he's very underrated and why he so important to the team. Now, basing on that, if he's in the rotation, if he, if he's in the bullpen, wherever he is, do, uh, Wayne, do you think the Mets have enough firepower to match and and possibly overtake the Braves as the best team in the National League East this year? You know, it's it's. I think Atlanta they they've made such smart moves themselves. You know, they they really rely heavily on their bullpen, uh, which they continue to bolster. They've obviously got a great lineup, although we don't really know where Marcelo Zuna is going to end up yet and how the Braves might figure in replacing him. But I, I do think the Mets have done a lot here to put themselves back into that conversation. And I think that it's it's there for them. I, I don't I don't think the Mets are far behind at all. If they are, you know, it's it's probably very slight right now. And the Mets aren't done. You know, we 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 know that their offseason is going to continue here. Um, you know, maybe they will sign Trevor Power. I mean, we don't really know what the Mets have in, in, in tow here. I mean, if they sign Brad Hand, well, I think that you know, that inches them even closer to the Braves. So they're not going to come in and just steamroll, I don't think. I think the Phillies are going to be uh, good. I think Washington's going to be good. We saw Miami play above expectations certainly last year. So I think it's still a very strong division. Uh, but I, I think the Mets are doing a, as much as they can to immediately thrust themselves into uh, the playoff conversation for next year or for this year. Yeah, one of the toughest divisions in all of baseball. Uh, let's end with a personal question, Wayne. Um, maybe what is what? What's your favorite or maybe most exciting professional broadcasting moment uh, of your career thus far? Uh, that's a good question. You know, I've had I've had a couple of good ones uh, as far as as being with the Mets. You know, uh, my first year was 2015, and at that time, you know, I was doing pregame and postgame, but I also was filling in on play by play whenever. Howie or, or Josh Lewin were off. And one time Josh was doing uh, a Charger game during the National League Division Series. So, um, you know, the Mets-Dodgers tied at one. It was the first game at City Field 
first playoff game ever at City Field. You know, the Ruben Tejada thing, it just happened. You know, Chase Hetley was booed out of the borough, and uh, it was a, a, just a wild night. And, you know, one of the innings that I got to call was when Yohannes Cespedes just bombed a three-run homer to kind of put the game, even though it was early, kind of put the game out of reach at that point. The place just went ballistic. So that's one. And 1A is probably Pete Alonso's 53rd homer in 2019. And what a special moment to, to call in his rookie year. It was my first year, too, as the, as the full-time partner of Howie's. And uh, to have that call that night, you know, when everybody was, was ready to see Pete break this record and, and get over top of Aaron Judge, uh, you know, I'll never, I'll never forget really either of those nights at City Field. They were both pretty special. Oh, thank you so much, Wayne, for being on the show. Um, you can follow Wayne on Twitter at Wayne Randazzo. Make it simple like that. And, of course, you can hear him broadcast on the radio on the Mets Network uh, when games are uh, – and hopefully they will get started on time. So uh, we're, we're rooting for that, Wayne. Yeah, me too. hope so. I appreciate uh, you guys having me on tonight, and uh, I look forward to talking to you guys again. Our pleasure. Thanks a lot. Uh, once again, I'm Ariel Cohen. You can follow me on Twitter at ATCNY, and you can follow Ruven at MLB Injury Guru. And of course, you can follow our podcast here at beat underscore shift underscore pod. From all of us here at the Fangraphs Beat the Shift podcast, see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.